you're looking to take some real great wildlife photos, I have quite the conversation for you to listen to today on the podcast. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Austin James Jackson. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this episode. Or maybe you didn't download it. I don't know. Can you even listen to podcasts without downloading it anymore? Who knows? But anyways, really excited today to talk a little bit about some wildlife photography. I feel like there's a lot of landscape photographers on this podcast, but as landscape photographers, I feel like we kind of dabble in wildlife photography. Landscape and wildlife are like siblings almost in terms of uh, you got people that are doing both and they're doing both really well. And especially for people who are visiting like Glacier National Park or Yellowstone National Park or some of those key places where there is a lot of wildlife, a lot of big mammals that we love here in North America, um, you're definitely going to want to know a little bit about wildlife photography in order to capture some of those great photos. And if you are not in America, you're not going to America, maybe you're going to shoot. Um, I mean, there's so many different examples. I'm trying to think, I mean, maybe you'd be going over to Africa and you'd be shooting lions and whatnot, or maybe you're going to go to Australia and take pictures of massive spiders, or I don't know. There's, there's amazingly huge mammals everywhere in the world and being able to capture them is great. You've already got most of the equipment you need. Maybe you just need like another longer telephoto lens or whatever. But if you're going to a place where there's big mammals, you're going to want to capture some photos. Trust me, even if you think you won't, you're going to be like me and you're going to say, eh, I don't need to. I'm here for landscape. Then you're going to roll up. There's going to be a bear in a really cool spot. And you're going to be sitting there with your 16 to 35 lens, not able to capture it. You're going to be disappointed. So Without further ado, uh, today on the podcast, I'm talking to Evan Watts. He's an amazing wildlife photographer living basically in Yellowstone National Park. What a place to be for wildlife. He's got some incredible photos. You can check out his portfolio um, and he does some guiding. So after listening to this episode, if you like what he's got to say, you definitely should uh register and go out with him. He'll guide you. And I think he's going to put you on the animals. So here we go, guys. Here's my conversation with Evan Watts. All right, really excited to welcome Evan Watts to the podcast today. Evan, will you start off by telling us about yourself for some of our listeners that may not be familiar with you or your work? Yeah, so my name is Evan. Um, I'm a wildlife photographer, primarily based in Yellowstone National Park. Um, I'm originally from Kentucky, but uh, moved out here recently uh, to pursue wildlife photography in the park. Um, so I guide um, in Yellowstone, and then I go out and shoot on my free time. Well, you know, I'm I'm not a huge expert about wildlife photography, but it seems like that would probably be like the place to be for wildlife. Is that fair to say? For sure. For sure. Um, it is definitely the epicenter of wildlife in America. Um, this is really the last place where we still have all of our um, large mammals that we had uh, pre-European settlement on the landscape. Nice. Well, I'm stoked to talk a little bit about wildlife photography today, learn a little more for obviously myself, but most importantly for all the listeners here, we've got a lot of landscape photographers listen to the podcast and 
landscape and wildlife photography kind of seem like they're friends almost like people shoot landscapes, enjoy shooting wildlife when the opportunity presents itself and maybe vice versa as well. Uh, but I think a mistake that a lot of photographers make when they're shooting those wildlife shots is that they center every single photo. So they zoom in as far as they can find the animal center it. Um, but when I look at your portfolio uh, and someone that is very good at what they do, it's really clear to me that you're a master at placing your subject, which is generally the animal in exactly the right spot to allow the rest of the scene to add to the image. Can you speak to the importance of subject placement in each composition? Yeah. So subject placement is huge in wildlife photography. Um, with most forms of photography, you know, you have control of your subject. If you're doing wedding photography, portrait photography, you can tell people how you want them to be positioned. Um, you can control your lighting. You can control all that stuff. Um, with wildlife, we can't do that. Um, so what we have to do is control what we can control, and that is our own placement in relation to the animal. Um, so wildlife photography for me is really all about um, choosing where to place myself in relation to the animal um, so that I get the background I want, so that I get uh, the the environment around the animal that I want, um, so that the animal is in the right position um, in the photo um, to create the photo that I'm looking to create. Um, so subject placement is huge in wildlife photography, and it's one of the few things we can control when we have a moving animal that is, you know, totally out of our control and doesn't listen to us. Um, placement is one of the few things we can't control. So it's very, very critical to understand. Yeah. And there's like, I would assume the added difficulty of while you can control where you're standing, you've still got to be careful. Cause like a, depending on what kind of animal it is, like you don't want to scare it. Like I would imagine something like an owl might get really scared. And then B, if you're photographing like a bear or a moose or something, you also want to maintain your distance. So not only do you have to understand the photography side of things, but you also have to understand like what the animal is likely to do. Is that fair to say? For sure. Yeah. It's, it's a balance between the two. And uh, another thing that is really important to understand in wildlife photography is simply just animal behavior and ecology. Um, if you're going to be a successful photographer um, and be able to find wildlife consistently and safely photograph it, um, you need to be able to read those signs of when a bear is upset or when an owl is startled by your presence. And so that would be like the benefit of going with someone like yourself that guides people out there is that like, I might not know that I might know a lot about photography, but I don't know much about how animals react. So by going out with a guide like you, I would assume that would buy me that knowledge, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, you kind of touched on composition in the previous question. How much thought do you actually put into the scene around the animal and the rest of the composition? A ton of thought goes into that. And, and kind of to go back to that, um, as far as that's the one thing you can control, it's very similar with composition. Um, you know, picking that environment, picking the background, the lighting angle, all that is, is stuff that you can control. And so a lot of thought has to go into that. Um, with wildlife photography, oftentimes we're kind of reverse engineering a photo. Um, so as a viewer, when you see the photo, the first thing that you see is the animal, and then you see all the environment and, and the background or the placement of the flowers in the photo, that kind of stuff. Um, but your eye first goes to the animal. When you're taking the photo with wildlife photography, it's the opposite. You need to first take a look at the environment around the animal, what background you want, what lighting angle, um, if you want to include those flowers or if you want to exclude those flowers. And then after you figured all of that out and you've positioned yourself properly, um, then focus on the animal and how you want to place that in your composition. And one thing that I 
talked about with someone else on a, a few episodes ago on the podcast was uh, they were specifically talking about like photographing a person with a landscape in the background uh, and, and making their con- making it so that there's contrast between the subject, which was in their case, the person and the background, which is the environment. And now that I'm thinking about it, that has to be really important with an animal because a lot of these animals, they are such a color or shape or size or whatever that they're supposed to blend in with the environment. So how important is finding that natural contrast for a a high quality photo? Extremely important. That's another thing that I really look at a lot out in the field, specifically when selecting backgrounds. Um, I look for a background that is a totally different color or, or tone than the animal. Um, for example, like uh, going back to you, you mentioned owls earlier um, with great, great owls. If you photograph an owl against a tree, it's going to blend right in. What you have to do is find a spot where you can put like maybe the green of the trees behind that gray owl. And that's how you make it pop in the image. Um, so, yeah, contrast behind your subject in the background is huge in wildlife photography. Yeah, absolutely. And th- and this is for the listeners, like this is not the kind of contrast that you, if you don't get it in the field, you can just add with a slider afterwards. You got to get it in the field. Otherwise it's not going to work. So I think that's great. And I think that one thing that a lot of people might overlook about wildlife photography is how important nailing the correct settings are. Uh, unlike landscape where like, sure, there's a few things where you got to make sure your shutter speed is right or whatever, but in landscape photography, there's, or I, I'm sorry, in wildlife photography, there's so many creative ways you can use your settings. Um, when I look at your portfolio, you've got uh, like two photos to me that I think are just absolutely next level. And they really show off how important the settings would be. Um, and a lot of people that I'm sure aren't photographers don't realize how you did this, but I can appreciate it looking at it. Um, and it, one of them is a photo where you've got a bear looking straight at the camera and there's rain all around that bear. And you've got another photo where you've got a hawk that is flying really quickly. So obviously both those settings, or I'm sorry, both those photos require particular settings in order to capture those. So can you speak to the importance of the right settings um, and tell us how someone who's newer to wildlife photography or just photography in general can pick those perfect settings? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, The importance of of correct setting is, is very important in wildlife photography. I mean, you've got to have, you know, a shutter speed that stops the motion or if you're looking for some motion blur, allows for some motion. Um, you've got to have an aperture that either allows for a blurred out background, or if you're looking for some environment around the animal, um, um, allows for you know more of the, the photo in focus, including both the animal and the background and the environment around it. And then you have to try to keep your ISO low enough to not get a super grainy image. Um, so the way that I go about doing it is I start with aperture, um, because this is kind of the simplest one. If I'm going for more of a portrait where the animal is the focus, it's a wide open aperture all the time. Um, I shoot on a 500 f4. I rarely stop down from f4. I'm almost always shooting at f4. Um, however, if I'm looking for something that's a little more environmental that shows, you know, the animal kind of small in the frame and then maybe the mountains in the background or whatever, then I'll open up to you know uh, f11 or, or, or f10 something like that um, to have a little bit more of the photo in focus. Um, so there are really two options for aperture, either if you're going for a portrait wide open or, um, or, you know, like F4 wide open, or if you're looking for something more environmental, then you're going to want a little more in focus. And so you might stop down to F11 or something like that. Um, next, I move on to shutter speed. Um, most of the time I want to stop the motion in the photos. Um, sometimes you might want some motion blur of like wings on a bird, but that's getting really particular about things. Generally speaking, especially if you're starting out, you're looking to stop the motion and have a tack sharp image. 
um, all around. So in that case, you find a shutter speed that is fast enough to stop that motion. And once you have that set, then you move on to ISO. Uh, with ISO, you just put it wherever the exposure, wherever you need it to get the right exposure. Um, a lot of people try to kind of juggle that a little and, and you know, go for a lower shutter speed so that they can also lower their ISO. But in my opinion, I would rather have a grainy image than a blurry image with motion blur. Um, so I just, I set the shutter speed what I need. And then if ISO has to be super high to capture that photo, that's okay. I'll set the ISO super high. Yeah, absolutely. And especially um, with like technology, I mean, Lightroom's got the new denoise feature and I mean, Topaz and DxO and all those softwares. So if you capture the image, that's grainy, even if it doesn't process well now, you know, technology is improving quickly. So you'll be able to fix that later. Um, right. And so I'm curious, I guess, uh, about like I mentioned your photo where you've got the bear standing looking at the camera and you got the rain around. You know what photo I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So to capture rain like that, that's a, that's a really fast shutter speed, right? Cause I mean, if you do like a one, 100 shutter speed, the rain would, you wouldn't see it. Is it right? Um, generally speaking. Yeah. I think I shot that one at right around an 800th maybe. Um, so enough to freeze the motion of the bear. Um, and also mostly freeze the rain, but have a, a, a little bit of a, a streak in the rain, um, to kind of create that, that effect that you can see a raindrop is falling. Yeah. And that, I guess, just takes a lot of practice and experience to know that. Cause like for me, the, even though the bear is a subject of the photo, like the rain adds infinite amount of depth and interest to that photo. And I think that that's what just brings it over the top for me. Um, and I'm curious, uh, how, and you don't have to give us all the, all the secrets here. Um, but how, how does someone know where and when to look for animals? Uh, it seems like just being in the right place at the right time will be half the battle. And like, obviously I guess, you can go where everyone else is going. Is that the best way to do it? Or is you just got to get out there? How do you know? So, yeah, it's a little bit of just, just getting out there and being out in the field. Um, but, but a large part of it is understanding the ecology and behavior of the species that you're trying to photograph. Um, you know, when you come to Yellowstone, let's say that you want to photograph bears. If you come here in mid July on an 85 degree day and go out on a midday bluebird day, you're not going to see a bear. A bear has a thick coat, you know, that's that's built for extreme weather out here. It's not going to be out when it's 85 degrees in the middle of an of an open valley in the sunlight, you know. Um, so it's really about understanding the ecology and behavior of the species you're trying to photograph, coupled with just putting the time out there in the field. Um, and that is how, you know, you're able to consistently find wildlife to photograph. That makes a lot of sense. And that's why I guess you would hire someone that knows what they're doing if you don't know what you're doing because then they'll, right. they'll put you in the right spot. I want to take a break from today's episode and talk about a really cool opportunity if you are a beginner or intermediate photographer that is really serious about taking better photos and getting better at photography. Now, usually about four to six times a year, I teach in-person workshops around the Western United States centered around helping you become a better photographer. Now my workshops are kept to just five people, which means that you will get plenty of one-on-one -on -one attention. So regardless of your skill level, whether you just picked up your first camera or whether you've been shooting for 15 years, I promise you, you're going to get so much out of it. I'm going to cater the class directly to you. 
Best of all, after the workshop, I'm gonna add you to my alumni group on Facebook where you can get literally weekly image feedback. We can connect at all times. Uh, when the workshop is over, it's not done. I'm still going to be your mentor. I'm gonna be there to help you and become better at photography. Now, like I said, if you're serious about becoming better at photography, don't wait any longer. Register for one of my workshops this year. You can visit austinjamesjackson.com slash workshops. That link will be down below in the podcast description that you can click on as well. I really can't wait to see you guys out there. And I think, uh, especially like I mentioned, a lot of listeners of the podcast are landscape photographers. We are used to going out and setting up at the top of a mountain and getting ready to shoot a photo and we sit there for an hour and wait for sunset and it's very slow and relaxing and I'm guessing that wildlife is not like that to me it seems at least the few times that I've shot wildlife um, it's definitely been the kind of thing where you got to be ready in the moment because the perfect shot is going to be a single second or less can you speak to that a little bit yeah definitely wildlife is a little more chaotic um, a little more stressful you've got to be ready and, and, and you've got to have everything right when that moment happens. Um, so this kind of, again, goes back to what we talked about earlier, uh, with placing yourself in the right position and, and adjusting all of that, um, and not really worrying about the animal. You need to focus on the, the environment, the background, all of that stuff first, um, get yourself in position and then wait for the animal to, you know, lift its head or, or stand in that exact position that you're hoping for, for a photo and at that moment, you'll be ready to shoot the photo. If, if you're just standing around and you haven't really thought about your composition or anything, and you finally raise your camera up, when the moment happens, you're going to miss it. You have to be ready before the moment happens um, to take that photo. And are you thinking when you're out there about like potential backup compositions? Because obviously, like we're talking about an animal here, it's... I mean, maybe it is, but I would think that it's not just going to like stand there and eat the same grass all day. It's going to be moving. So are you thinking when you're standing there, like, okay, if the animal goes that way, I'm going to go over there. If it goes that way, I'm going to go over there. Is that something that you don't really think about? Yeah, definitely. Those are things I think about. Um, oftentimes if, if I see an animal moving in a certain direction and there's like a huge crowd watching it, I'll just go way ahead of the crowd and wait for the animal to come to me. Um, I'll, I'll go way ahead get in the position that I want to be in. Um, so I'm not having to worry about that crowd blocking my view or anything and just sit there and wait on that animal to make its way to me. Um, as opposed to, you know, stopping where the crowd is and then trying to shoot photos really quickly and, and throw together a composition. I find it easier to move ahead, set up how I want it to be set up and then wait on that animal to come to me. That's like really good advice. Go, go ahead of the crowd and be the guy that everyone's like, Oh, he's not in the right spot over there. And then in 10 minutes, everyone's going to be like, Oh man, he was in the right spot. Right. And exactly. he was ready to yeah. go and you didn't have to fight all the, all the crowds. And, and I guess For that sure. is if I can only imagine like when there's a bear, like at least when I've been in like glacier and I've seen a bear, all the cars stop. So like you got to get there early, I guess, and get, get, I guess you can get out of your car and walk a little bit, but that's great advice. I like that. Um, so uh, like I've said, a lot of listeners here are landscape photographers that might dabble a little bit in wildlife photography. Is there like a common mistake that you see photographers making that are shooting wildlife that we could enlighten the audience here about to help them avoid that mistake? Hmm. I guess what I would say for that question would be a lot of times I see people they see a bear, they see a moose, they see one of these iconic animals to Yellowstone. Um, or, or even if you're not shooting in Yellowstone anywhere, 
people see the animal and they get excited and all that stuff that they learned about composition, about settings, lighting, background, um, you know, all the things that they've learned just go out the window and they just jump out of the car and start firing away and they shoot 2000 photos and not a single one of them is actually a good photo because they didn't take the time to think about what they were shooting. Um, I would say that's probably the most common mistake that I see when I'm out there in the field. Um, people just, they get excited and they forget about all the other stuff they've learned about photography. Um, so, so I guess the best piece of advice I could give would be, you know, remember what you've learned, uh, keep yourself calm when you see that animal and apply your knowledge as opposed to just getting out and spraying and praying. Yeah, that's great. Stay calm and you'll take better photos. Um, so I want to talk a little bit every time that I get someone on the podcast that I think is just incredible editing. I always like to just talk briefly about some editing stuff. Um, so I'm curious, I, I love the way you edit your photos and I'm curious, what does the workflow look like and how much of your editing process are you doing global adjustments versus local adjustments? Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So global adjustments, um, that would be very few things I do globally. Um, I, I will sharpen the photo globally, um, adjust all of that stuff. Um, white balance I do globally and then um, exposure if it's like way underexposed or, or a little overexposed or whatever I'll adjust the exposure to what I want it to be um, basically everything else is local adjustments so um, what I like to do often is uh, darken and and bring down the texture and clarity in the background um, using filters and then uh, brighten and bring up texture and clarity on the animal using filters um, I'll also add a slight vignette to the photo um, and I always add contrast and slightly increase the exposure on the eyes of the animal. And are you, I guess two questions. First, when you say filters, what do you, what do you mean by filters? I guess, sorry, I should say like the radial radio, like if you go into Lightroom, like you've got your radial okay, yeah, adjustment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and I'm one thing when I look through your portfolio, everything looks really realistic, which is, is amazing. I've seen a lot of, I mean, all kinds of photographers that are editing their photos that just don't look realistic and maybe there's too much contrast or whatever, but you have a really good eye for creating that realistic looking photo. Do you have any advice for photographers to create realistic looking edits? Um, subtlety is key. You have to be subtle with your edits. Um, a lot of people, you know, go crazy with the saturation sliders and contrast sliders and uh, have got these images that look more like an overdone painting than an actual real photo. Um, for me, all of my edits are about being subtle and being subtle enough that, you know, you might be able to tell they were edited, especially if you're a photographer, but it's not super obvious that this was an edited photo. Um, it's all about making all of your adjustments very subtle. Yeah. And I'll adding to how you mentioned that most of your stuff is local adjustments those local adjustments can really get you in trouble if you try and do too much in one mm -hmm. adjustment. So the subtlety when you're doing local adjustments is, is huge. Um, and while we're on the topic of editing, I know we talked about kind of mistakes that you'd make while shooting, but do you see any common editing mistake? Ooh, I would say, uh, incorrect white balance is one that I see a lot as I'm just scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. Um, white balance is for me, one of the most important parts of my workflow um, getting that color right is key to the rest of the photo. If the colors are off, then the rest of the photo looks off. 
Um, so, so adjusting your white balance either in the field or in Lightroom, it's a lot easier to just do it in Lightroom. Um, so I, I typically will shoot in like cloudy white balance or maybe sunlight white balance, depending on the lighting when I'm out in the field. And then I can make small adjustments to that in Lightroom. Um, and yeah, I would say that's the thing that a lot of people skip out on. Um, they kind of just glaze over that in Lightroom, um, but it's a very important part of your workflow and something to really understand um, how to use. I'm so glad that you said that because I am always saying that white balance is like the biggest, most important thing that you can do. And I've asked so many people the common editing mistake question on the podcast and no one has ever said white balance. So I'm so happy that really? someone out there finally said white balance because like really, if your white balance is off, you cannot create a realistic looking photo. You just can't. It's done. No, you, you have can't. to you have to nail that white balance. It is so, so crucial. So I'm so happy that you said that. Um, and I know you've already given us so much advice already, but the last question I ask everyone here on the Learn Landscape Photography podcast is that if you had one single piece of advice for a photographer trying to take better photos, what would it be? And it doesn't have to have anything to do with anything we've talked about in today's podcast. It could be totally different. Um, just you have one piece of advice, overarching piece of advice. Um, hmm. uh, well, I've kind of, I kind of said this earlier, uh, and that would be to spend the time to find the correct composition when you're out there shooting. Um, composition is very often ignored in favor of learning, you know, settings and how to use the settings on your camera and uh, learning post-processing and all that kind of stuff. Um, the people often ignore composition in favor of all of that. But the reality is if your composition isn't good, then none of the rest of that stuff is even going to matter because it's not going to be a good photo. Um, and, and you can't adjust your composition in post-processing. I mean, you can crop, but you know, if, if the, the animal is just on the wrong side of the frame, you can't just create more of the frame. Um, I, well, I guess you can now with all this new AI technology, but, um, you know, point is you have to get that composition right in the field most of the time. Um, otherwise the rest of that stuff, your settings and your, your editing process and workflow, none of that matters if the composition isn't good. Absolutely. I love that get the composition right. That is great advice. So thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Will you kind of wrap us up by telling us where we can find your work? Where can we learn from you slash take a tour with you? Um, just give us, give us anything you got. Give us the whole nine yards. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you can find my work on YouTube, um, at Watts wildlife, uh, W A T T S wildlife. Um, and then also on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Watts wildlife photo. Um, just all one word. Um, and if you want to take a tour with me in Yellowstone, I work for Yellowstone Wild. Um, and so you could book a tour with them and request me. Um, and you'll most likely get me. We can't always guarantee it just because of scheduling stuff, but um, you can you can try to um, uh, request, you can request for me at least and hopefully get on tour with me. So uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. It was a great time chatting with you. Alrighty guys. Well, another one of those short and sweet episodes that is just absolutely loaded with helpful information. 
if you want to capture better wildlife photos, I think that the like 20 some minutes that you're going to listen to this podcast are just a great place to start. And I think that you've learned a heck of a lot of great information. Uh, I know there's some stuff that I learned in this podcast that I'll be taking with me the next time that I go out to Yellowstone or Glacier or whatever, whenever that may be. Uh, And I hope that you guys will as well. So as always, thank you so much for listening to Learn Landscape Photography podcast. It's my number one goal to help you guys become better at photography in the shortest, most brief amount of time as possible. I don't want to waste hours and hours telling stories and whatnot. So thank you so much for being here. If you guys are liking the podcast, please leave me a review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I don't even know where else other people listen to podcasts, but I know that the podcast host is publishing this thing in a lot of different places. So leave me a review wherever it is. It helps me to grow the podcast and it helps me to get some great people on here and bring you guys some more useful episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. This is Austin James Jackson and I'm out of here. 